welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. First, I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice. And what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we explored expert tips to ensure an enjoyable holiday season, which can be more challenging when living with chronic illness. I wish you all a wonderful holiday season, and my sincere gratitude to my fellow flock members and to all listeners for being an important part of my life as you truly help me maintain focus on what it means to live well with MS. This week, we're going to look at a topic that I've been seriously exploring in my own life for about a year and a half now, writing to heal. This journey has entailed many hours of research, a tall stack of books on the topic by various acclaimed neuroscientists, and a gazillion notebooks that I've filled with words, trying out their various recommended approaches. Through this experience, I've been convinced that we truly hold the pen and have the ability to write our own stories and to change any destructive thought patterns we may have in our brains. You'll hear more about this compelling research and how I'd like to include more writing to heal opportunities through Misunderstood in the new year. But for today, I'd like to take some time to showcase the poetry of my dear friend Donna. Donna and I met a few months ago when she found our way to our Saturday MS virtual meetups, and she's also a fellow flock member now. I felt an instant connection with Donna, and the more we engage with one another, the more similarities we discover. I'm truly enjoying our budding friendship. Recently, Donna shared her book of poetry with me called, I Go From Bad to Verse. Reading her poetry had a big impact on me. I was moved to tears, exploded in uncontrollable laughter, experienced full-body chills of resonance, and felt deeply understood and comforted by her words. How could this person I just met so accurately depict how I felt living with MS? This was especially perplexing to me, since at the time she wrote her book, it was prior to her MS diagnosis. After reading her book, I immediately thought it would be powerful for a larger audience to hear as well. And gratefully, Donna agreed to meet up to share her personal creations with us today as an exemplar of just how powerful writing can be as a tool for expression and healing. For my gratitude this episode, I want to thank my brother, Matt, who has a birthday this week. He and I have always been close, 
And even though we used to wrestle roughly, get into trouble for not following directions, and do all the silly things that kids do, like complaining about the other not staying on their side of the back seat, I don't recall a time when I didn't look up to him or feel proud that he is my brother. Some of my fondest memories as a kid are time spent with my brother. We loved to play Lego, collect rocks, do archery, and went on lots of outdoor adventures together where we took wrong turns resulting in courageous detours or even creating our own trails. I attribute much of my adventurous spirit to my brother and the outdoor excursions we did as a family when I was young. And it's the silly moments that I now actually cherish the most. Like the time we made super long straws by attaching multiple straws together and sat outside at our grandparents' house drinking our sodas proudly from several feet away. I'm grateful we actually have a picture to commemorate this silly moment. Being a senior in high school, when I was a lowly freshman, you might think that we went through a period of time where we weren't close. On the contrary, I remember my brother showing me the ropes and even inviting me into his circle of super cool senior friends. Since high school, I haven't lived in the same state as my brother, and yet he remains one of my closest friends. I love visiting him in Montana, exploring old mines, collecting rocks, driving roads that don't look like roads at all, and drinking Montana mules with his own foraged herbs. My brother knows a lot, and while he doesn't have fancy degrees or ascribe to a narrow definition of success, he lives his life his way, is happy, and is well-loved in his community. One of the last times Eric and I visited him, we went to the grocery store together, and everyone greeted Matt warmly and with gratitude. He takes care of people in his community who need help and is an outwardly generous person, which to me exemplifies the qualities I look for and appreciate in others. I recall Eric exclaiming, Matt for mayor, because it was so clear how deeply embedded he is as a leader and support provider in his community. So today, thank you, Matt, and happy birthday to you. No matter how old we get, You'll always be my big brother, and I will always look up to you. Thank you for showing me how to be such a caring person. You are truly a gem of a human, and I am proud to call you my brother and lucky to call you my friend. Before we dive into my interview with Donna, the educator and me would like to offer a few suggestions for active listening. First, as you listen, be listening for aspects of Donna's writing that resonates with you. Have you experienced similar challenges? How does learning more about her challenges make you feel about your challenges? Perhaps her poetry might reveal similar opportunities in your own life that might make powerful writing topics for you to explore. Are there stories you have bottled up inside that you've forgotten about or have intentionally avoided? This is important because as we learned in episode 31, Mindset Matters, highlighting the Mind Body Rewire program with Jenny Peterson, the body keeps the score and MS is related to emotions of feeling not enough. Trauma rage, shame. These emotions take root in the body and cause dis-ease and disease, 
if we don't release them. And writing is a powerful way to do just that. And get this, unlike most avenues to healing, it's free. Without further ado, let's listen in on our conversation. Okay, I'd love to welcome my dear friend Donna today. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, no problem. So grateful you are here. Um, as you know, in this episode, we're looking at writing to heal and ways that writing to express our feelings can be therapeutic in nature. And uh, I've already shared with listeners that you shared a beautiful book of poetry with me. And again, thank you today for joining us and being willing to share some of that with us. Sure. So let's start off with, um, can you share a little bit about how this beautiful book of your poetry came to be? Well, I've been writing poetry since I was like seven. My first poem was about a mouse in the house. And, um, you know, poetry has sort of run in my family. My mother's father wrote poems, uh, usually for occasions like birthdays or just Valentine's Day. And, you know, we, I have them somewhere um, and they're beautiful and they always rhymed. And sometimes he made up words to rhyme. And my father also wrote poems to my mother. So that's on the other side of the family. And um, I have them somewhere too. And I remembered that I wrote poems for, our, for my mother's 50th birthday, my parents' uh, uh, wedding anniversaries, um, all sorts of other occasions. And I even wrote one that I just recently remembered uh, I wrote one when my father was dealing with depression. I wrote him a poem. And um, I even wrote something um, when, he, when he died. I wrote uh, sort of a, a eulogy poem, which I would like to find somewhere. How beautiful. But, what a lovely family tradition that has been going on for so long. And one of my sisters actually uh, took nursery rhymes and sort of redid them in poetry form. This is a long time ago. And she, she composed uh, lyrics. She wrote a, um, a musical. And I still remember one of the songs. I can hear it in my head. And we recently rekindled our friendship. So I'm gonna bring that up the next time. I remember the title and everything. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I can remember the, the song. <laughs> Isn't that so amazing? These powerful memories that we have. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that piece of family history with us. Now, specifically, what inspired you to write about your personal health challenges? That's a good question. Um, well, when I first started having um, issues with depression uh, and a mood disorder, um, when I would write, when I would be in the hospital, instead of just writing you know, how I felt, it was somehow easier because I was so, uh, you know, so into poetry, it was somehow easier to, to write it that way in poetry form. And as you know, since you read the book, some of it is, you know, a lot of it has humor to it. You know, some of it is deadly serious, but um, it's like I had to make myself feel better so that I had to sort of make myself smile by writing something humorous. So um, it just always helped 
me deal with with things. What a healthy way to self-soothe. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I, I wish that I'd always found that healthy way of self-soothing, as you know. Um, but that's that's in the past, so. So Donna, I'm grateful today that you're willing to share a favorite from your book. And um, before you do that, I, I also <laughs> love how you really preface each poem by a short blurb to kind of set the tone. Um, so go ahead and share with us your selection. Okay, this one is called Christmas in the Psych Ward. And I wrote it because I was there. This poem was, was written when I spent a good portion of the holiday season in the hospital. It was hard to see the season proceeding while we were inside, although they tried hard to foster some spirit by decorating or getting us cakes. One of the doctors even sat down at the piano and played Christmas carols. In fact, he was very good. I can't say I look back at that time as enjoyable, but it was not a horrible time either. I felt safe and protected while I tried to recover from depression. And in this poem, um, there's something called CA, they call it the quiet area. CA stands for constant awareness, which means you're not in a room, but you're in an area where somebody is, is, has their eye on you, just in case, you know, you have a difficult time. Twas the night before Christmas. It had been a long day. The unit was quiet. Yes, even CA. Most patients were warmly tucked in their beds. It was after 10, so they had all had their meds. At the desk sat D, busy on the phone. There were folks in the sunroom where a movie was shown. In the dining room, artwork adorned all the walls. And earlier that day, they'd sung Deck the Halls. Socks were hung in the laundry room with care in hopes that a new dryer soon would be there. And that's true. In the kitchen lay remains of cookies and cake. <clears throat> it's amazing how much of a mess people make. A patient was crying in need of TLC. Another one sat fast asleep at TV. The census was high, folks of all ages, all were recovering in different stages. Suddenly, footsteps were heard to sound. The nurses got up and began looking around. No patient was missing, CA was secure. What's going on? They couldn't be sure. They thought, could it be, just like in the poem, where St. Nick visits somebody's home? One nurse explained, we could sure use a hero, and who should appear but the good Dr. Pirro? Not Santa at all, just a very nice man who does for his patients whatever he can. As do all the staff, from doctors to aides, and they get all too few of their deserved accolades. I give this to them, my holiday verse. I'm a former patient who once felt a lot worse. To all who are admitted, try to have hope and good cheer. Whatever solace you need, you will find it here. However you celebrate, whatever you're right, happy holidays to all and to all a good night. Oh, beautiful. Goosebumps here. Thank you. Oh. Well, Donna, what is it like to read that now and to share it with an audience? Um, I, I, it brings back the memories. You know, the, I changed the names of the doctor, but that's, his name was pretty close to that. And, um, you know, I remember being, being there at Christmas and I was even, one time I was even uh, in the unit on my birthday. And um, it was just, you know, it was, I felt, you know, I lived alone at the time and I felt 
it was like being in a college dorm all over again. You know, there were a lot of people my age, we were in our thirties, uh, I was in my thirties. And, um, you know, it just, um, as I said, it, it brings back, it, it brings back, you know, memories of being inside a Psyche, but it also brings back good memories. You know, I felt taken care of, which is what I needed at the time. I needed to feel like I was being taken care of. That's beautiful. And I think that your message is appropriate for anyone, you know, going into this holiday season that has some sort of hardship in their life. Um, and how wonderful that you were able to write about it in such a beautiful way. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I also asked you if you'd be willing to share a couple of other poems from your book um, that I chose because they were things that I felt as someone living with MS that um, our MS community could relate to. And, uh, and they also, I thought were really good examples because they showcased both your incredible sense of humor and your seriousness. So the first one um, is called A Pill by Any Other Name. And this applies to today also, because as we've discussed, pills, the, the names they come up with make no sense to me. So what I wrote before this poem was, this next is an irreverent kind of rant about pills and how they get their names. Some of the names are just too chemical sounding and don't give a clue as to what their purpose is. Maybe my names aren't much better, but hey, at least I hope you smile. How does a new drug get its name? Many new ones sound so lame. You just can't tell the medicine's action. Well, I demand some satisfaction. I've pondered this and thus invented. Some I think sound less demented. When my thoughts are endless noise, Ruminex, the drug of choice. When my shopping's out of hand, I'll take a bunch of z band. If my sex drive just is not, Time to pop a hot to trot. When I toss and turn at night, please prescribe a ZZ sleep tight. And when a headache seems to loom, I would take a pain go boom. Love it. <laughs> I like the hot to trot. <laughs> That's my favorite one. They're all so good. It's so good and so true. Um, so true. Thank you. Uh, the second one um, is who is the me? That's one of the poems, one of the only poems I wrote that doesn't rhyme. I wrote it during my freshman year in college when I first encountered depression and all the uncertainty it brought. This was before I was ever even in therapy. And the questions that I ask in this poem are so much the struggle I came to later that I had to include it here. It is one of the few poems, as I said, I've ever written that doesn't rhyme. Who is the me that thinks and searches for herself and doesn't see the good anywhere in herself and tries to find it in her friends? Who is the me that judges herself by many others and thinks herself so low and worse, worthless that she hates her words and deeds? Who is the me that struggles with feelings and tries to fit them in a common mold like an old familiar place? Who is the me that houses many different people as they all pull separate ways and clash their wills at every move? Who is the me that wants to grow but really doesn't? And this conflict of her mind creates the havoc she endures. Can she ever face the future and reality that she should face? Can she ever realize that just because life's not easy doesn't mean you fall apart? 
Who is that me? Her mind whirls like tornadoes, who writes such troubled questions in the hopes of finding sense. Well, you know, I haven't read that in a while. It does fit later on in my life. So profound. And, and um, I had forgotten that you had written that one so young. And um, this poem just really resonated with me in some of the challenges I have in my life. And I certainly was not thinking that rationally um, about it at that age. Um, so I'm just blown away by the, the depth of your, your thought and the fact that you were able to get that out on paper. That's just beautiful. Thank you. When, when you read that one now, Donna, and, and now that you know, MS is a part of your life, does it have different meaning or additional meaning? Well, the, the whole part about judging myself, I've done that for you know, most of my life and because other people judged me and then I judged myself. And um, it's nice to read and, and know that I don't think myself low and worthless anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, but there are different people in here, in, inside myself, you know, and they do sometimes pull in different ways, you know, and facing the future and reality that definitely has something to do with MS. You know, what is my future life? You know, physical problems or, or cognitive problems, you know, what's, who knows? We, we don't, we don't know. <laughs> and, and we live with that daunting uncertainty every day in a way that others who don't face something similar can understand. Um, I long-term listeners will also remember when we talked about the book, um, The Body Keeps the Score. And you know, there's a correlation between MS and not feeling good enough. And uh, I think that's why this poem just really hit me in that way. Um, a people pleaser, you know, wanting to smooth over things in family and just wanting everyone to be happy and, and sometimes losing sight of ourselves in the process. It's beautiful. Yeah. You. I know about people pleasing. I, I am familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, let this leads us to the third poem from the book I asked you to share um, with us today. And it's called This Forest Has Too Many Trees. This poem was written after a hospitalization where for the first time I had felt suicidal. Emerging from that difficult period left me with a lot of questions about the meaning of everything. When a friend mentioned this title as one that would make a good book title, I latched onto it as a good subject for a poem. It's not a humorous poem for a change, but one that, real, that I really felt in my gut. This forest has too many trees. I can't see where I'm headed. I know there's a path here somewhere, but it might be one I've dreaded. I make, make my way through underbrush that's thick and heavily weeded. I thought that I could just walk through, but a machete might be needed. No sunlight seems to make it in. The trees allow no chance to. It's as if a song is written without the tune to dance to. Can I make it out of here? Will there come a day? Or shall the forest swallow me and yield no right of way? Oof. When I read that, I immediately thought about how the path to healing, especially with MS, you know, often reveals to us aspects of our past. And it can be a really tough journey to work our way through that. 
Um, and uh, a favorite song lyric of mine is actually, uh, the only way around is through. And this poem just to me shows like, the forest has too many trees. It's so difficult to find your way through. So thank you so much. That resonated so deeply with me. How was that to share for you? Well, some of these I hadn't read in a while. And I really like the, I always like the rhyme, but where the trees don't allow a chance to. And I, I wrote about a song without the tune to dance to. And it's like, wow. You know, sometimes I, I amaze myself that, that I actually wrote some of these. I mean, that sounds kind of boastful, but I just, you know, it's like I really captured what I was thinking back then. You know, with, with some of my cognitive issues, it's not as easy for me to write poetry. They used to just come like in the middle of the night and I would get up and write them down. Now, if, if I feel, about, feel something about something, um, I have to sit down and work at it. But sometimes when I start, then it flows. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I wanted to say this and I wanted to say this. So Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing those with us. So Donna, after you shared your book with me and we chatted about it, you were inspired to take up the pen and write again, and this time with an MS focus. I'm really excited for you to share today two of the poems you've written more recently. Yeah. I. I decided to sit down and try to write something about MS. And I, I, I do remember that I had written one a few years ago, but I can't for the life of me find it. So I said, all right, well, I'm sure I can come up with something. And it, it started slow, but it just, it flowed. So there's no blurb for this one. It's just called The Ballad of MS. I have a disease called MS. Does it impact my life? Of course, that's a yes. I've got problems with balance and I fell against a wall, broke a finger, but luckily that was all. My lesions have been stable for many years, but my cognitive problems leave me in tears. It's sometimes called cog fog, which describes it well. I feel like I'm in my own personal hell. I have to write down everything because the thoughts disappear and losing my sanity is something I fear. I'm bipolar too, so my mood is affected. And there are days I feel quite disconnected. I no longer trust my perceptions, so I need to look twice at things I'm seeing to make sure I'm precise. I set multiple alarms to remind me of things. I wonder what challenges each new day will bring. I have to be more mindful when I drive. I wanna reach my destination alive. I put something down and then can't remember where. It feels like things vanish into thin air. If I don't record when I take medication, it causes me great agitation. If I'm asked what I've done at the end of the day, if it's not written down, I'm not able to say. I even have to record the days I go number two because which day it was, I may have no clue. I'll lose something and search for an hour in vain, then find it where I swore I'd looked. Oy, my poor brain. I used to remember the books I've read now I go back some pages to get them into my head. I can't remember apps, I've had a long time. I'm a poet, but it's harder now to find words that rhyme. I've had cognitive testing and it seems to show that I'm staying the same, but what do they know? Evaluation in an office is not a true test. They need to see me at home in my own nest. When I tell people I have MS, they're always surprised that they can't see any physical signs with their own eyes. 
it's hard to explain the cognitive stuff. I certainly try hard enough. Or people who are over 55, like me, actually I'm 63, think if they say, I have that too, it'll help me calm down, but it's not true. I know they mean well, but I feel unheard, but I keep that to myself and don't say a word. Some days I'll wake up with a pain or a knot and I'll wonder, is this my MS or what else have I got? And multitasking, surely you jest. I'm lucky if I can manage to get myself dressed. What helps me not to totally lose my mind is the support from other MSers I've met online. I even met a guy and we flirted on the phone, but when we met in person, we each left alone. All I can do is take each day as it unfolds because none of us know what the future holds. I have to try not to cry, but laugh instead and try not to get lost inside my head. If you've read this far, Thank you, my friends. Yep, this poem finally ends. So much, so relatable. Oh, Donna, thank you. My cat is, just came over to me and put his uh, paw on my arm as if to say, it's okay, mom. <laughs> oh, I love that. They know, <laughs> they know. Your vulnerability in that poem um, and the way you so accurately described how it feels to have this disease. Um, when others, you know, again, like you mentioned, try to empathize by saying, oh, me too, or I understand. Um, oh, best intentions, but the impact is certainly not such. So thank you so much for sharing that. How was that to share with us today? I, I'm always surprised when I read that as to how long it ended up being. Because, <laughs> you know, that's that's one, you know, I don't usually write poems that long, but there was just more and more to say. I mean, I could have kept going, but it was like, I better end it now. <laughs> Well, maybe there will be a continuation in the future. It's possible. <laughs> it is. It is. Now, you also share, have shared with me your personal journey um, with weight loss. And you wrote a poem about that as well that I found extremely powerful. Um, I'd love for you to share that one with us today as well. Well, what, what um, had me writing this one was... Um, in the book, there's a poem about binge eating because I'm a recovering binge eater. And I, I've, in the last few years, um, in fact, I just celebrated my two year anniversary uh, of being under my goal weight after losing 155 pounds. Amazing. So I'm, not I'm not sure if I should, you know, give a plug to how I lost it or just leave it at that. <laughs> We each have our own way, but I would love for you to share that poem with us. I called it uh, Metamorphosis. I was obese for many years. I was frustrated and often in tears. I needed to lose 150 pounds. My appetite definitely knew no bounds. My blood pressure was so high that I took medication. I had sleep apnea too, which added to my frustration. Then after a while, I knew I had to try to lose the weight. I was afraid I'd die. So I started a new eating plan and I had to tell myself, I think I can. Slowly, the pounds began to melt away. I saw a little bit of progress every day. I weighed and measured everything I ate. Well, I weigh and measure everything I ate. 
I saw results. It wasn't too late. My clothes got bigger. I fit into a smaller size. I could see admiration in people's eyes. I'm now a size medium after being much bigger. I learned that emotions were a trigger. I've maintained the loss for two years. I'm so proud of me. I know I won't go backwards. I'm a changed woman, you see. I tell people that it's hard, but I feel like I've won. So don't give up. It can be done. And just to add, I did not have weight loss surgery, even though I was urged to do so. I just, I didn't want anybody messing with my stomach. If I wanted to eat an entire pie, then I was going to eat an entire pie. <laughs> so, I mean, weight loss surgery is, is for people who, who need it, but I didn't want to need it. What a beautiful title too. Just um, perfect. What a metamorphosis you have gone through. And I promised myself when I lost, I think it was a hundred that I would get either a butterfly tattoo or butterfly jewelry. I ended up with the jewelry just because tattoos are expensive. So now everybody knows that, you know, I'm where I have butterfly shoes on. I wear butterfly earring. I got butterfly jewelry of every kind. So wonderful. I did not know that about you. That is good to know. Thank you for sharing. So sure. Donna, what would you say to someone who has, you know, feelings or emotions bottling up inside and is thinking about using writing as a healing tool. Um, would you care to sh share some ways that writing about your struggles has helped you? Well, I mean, I always have so many thoughts ruminating around in my brain and it just helps to get it out on paper. You know, it may not be elegant. It may not rhyme. It may not anything, but once you get it out, then you can play with it. You know, it's like, do I want it to sound that way or you know, you don't have to write it out and it be publishable like the next day, you know, um, it just gets the thoughts out. You know, I've been journaling again, not as much as I did when I was going in and out of the hospital, but I, um, I do journal still. And, um, you know, it, it really does help how you feel if you can just get it out, get it out of your head. So it's not rattling around in there. Wonderful. And, and you uh, shared with me earlier that, you know, hey, just start small, set aside a few minutes a day, you know, those small attainable goals uh, will eventually potentially get you to a book full of poetry like it has for you. And I, I have to thank a, a good friend of mine who I met back when I was in the hospital. Um, I had shared some of my poetry with her. And then some years later, she said, you know, you should try making a book out of it. I'm like, a book, you know? And um, so I, I looked online, found a mental health publisher and, you know, they, they took it. I didn't have to pay them to take it either. <laughs> the rest is history. The rest That's is history. Beautiful. Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners today about the power of writing or have we covered it all? I'll probably think of something uh, after we finish, but I think I've said pretty much well, oh, about, about um, small attainable goals that works with everything. You know, uh, when I said to myself, oh, I have to lose 150 pounds, you know, that was like, I can't do that. But I said, I'd like to lose four pounds by and make some very attainable goal. So if you exceed it, then you feel good. And if you meet it, great. You know, so that, that works with everything. You know, sit down, give yourself a few minutes a day. I should take my own advice when it comes to cleaning my house, but um, it's 
it, it would work for that. <laughs> It would, it would. That is wonderful advice for uh, all aspects of life. So thank you so much for sharing um, and really sharing so vulnerably and openly with us today, your poetry. And I also just want to thank you for being such a dear MS friend to me. I am so grateful to have met you and to be on this journey with you. Um, you're just a beautiful human. And I thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. You're, you're easy to be a friend to and with whatever the proper grammar is. <laughs> well, thank you. And hopefully we'll uh, have you on again sometime with some of your future writings. Oh, I love that. Excellent. After listening to my conversation with Donna, I hope we all, one, feel inspired to consider using writing as a tool to explore and release our own emotions to find our way to better health. Two, that we remember that we are writing for ourselves as a part of our own healing journey. So although Donna chose to share her writing, there's no need to pressure ourselves to share what we write with others. And three, if we are interested in sharing what we write, that we consider the power of sharing what we write with others living with MS who are likely to deeply understand and be comforted by our words. And maybe we even consider sharing with those who love us who might benefit from learning more about what it's like to live with MS. If you'd like to support Donna by purchasing her book, I Go From Bad to Verse by Donna S. Rubin, she can place an order directly from the publisher with a minimum order of six, and the price is less the larger the order. We estimate the cost to be around $15, but it could be even less if more people decide to purchase. The book is also available on Amazon for $18 or a $9 Kindle version, if that's more convenient. But please know that zero proceeds reach Donna when we purchase through Amazon. So if you'd like to support her and ensure she gets some compensation for her intellectual property, please send an email to me at mymsflock at gmail.com to express your interest, and I will put you in contact with Donna so she can put in an order for us. Several reminders before we go. First, when we encounter anyone in our lives struggling to live well with MS, let's link arms and gather them into the fold so they know they are not alone in this. Consider sending them my way via our podcast email, and I'll make sure they can connect with someone or a group of people or resources to help them through the tough times. And two, that if you'd like to participate in our December event to set an MS health intention for 2022, send an email to our podcast email address to indicate your interest before Saturday, November 27th. Our next Misunderstood Flock meeting will be Saturday, December 4th. At the Flock meeting, we'll discuss this episode and other episodes released this month, and just spend some virtual time together supporting one another as we all strive to live well with MS. If you're not yet a Flock member but would like to be, join us. We meet via Zoom the first Saturday of each month. You can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com slash msflock. 
As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well.